Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We just started a new series called Garden Church, um, Essentials of Kingdom Life. There's a slide to show you what what we're doing is we just launched house churches last week. And it's amazing. We have 13 house churches over 330 people, not including kids, in house churches. Um, we've changed the, our approach to ministry. And so one of the things we wanted to do as a church is talk about the cultural values of what makes us the church, but also what we see as values of kingdom life and discipleship. So last week, we started talking about a value called, uh, which we called a life shared with loving family. This week, we're going to talk about a life rooted in the scriptures, And next week, we'll talk about a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. So every week for the next six weeks, we are looking at values that we have articulated as a church um, that we want to anchor not only every person's life and discipleship in, but all of our house churches in and our corporate church as a whole. We're hoping that these values will not just be something that you think about or like, but that they will be practiced in your everyday life. So 
Last week, we talked about a life shared with loving family. We talked about what that looks like, but we anchored it in practices like eat meals with each other. How many of you had a meal this last week with people as a discipline of building family life? Look at that. How many of you joined a house church? Let's see your hands. Yeah, see, and so we put a bunch of practices in, and so each week there'll be practices that will engage to create the type of life we're looking for. These are not just values, but they're practices and they're directions. We're, we want our lives to grow in these things as we move forward. So today I have the, the joy, really, of teaching about something that I'm very passionate about. It's the scriptures. I want to talk about the Bible. So for those of you that have a Bible, um, or why don't you pull out your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 5. We'll get there in just a second. And those of you that actually brought something that looks like this, this is a Bible. And what you need to know is this is not a book. This is more of a library of books. And in this thing, this is the best-selling book of all time, uh, there are all sorts of literature within it. So we have stories, narratives, poems, a genealogy, wisdom one-liners. There's this one particular genre that Americans are obsessed with called apocalyptic literature that's in here. Um, there's all sorts of amazing things that you find, but it's fascinating. As you study the scriptures, um, 40% of this book is story. And 33% is poetry. So 73% of this book is story and poetry. 20% are letters. And then the rest are like commands. So one single digit commands. So um, the Bible is this fascinating, best-selling book. In it has everything you could possibly imagine. Um, you have uh, the human condition to it. It's extreme from Love and hate, the futility of war or violence as a way to solve human problems, injustice, what happens in society when there's a growing gap between the rich and the poor. That's in this book. Talks about what to do if you have mold in your kitchen. Talks about how to uh, discipline your toddler. It talks about sex and death, the end of the world, what happens when a church gets in bed with the empire. It talks about the meaning of life. This book has everything in it, yet... We are in an inflection point in human history, in the church in the West. More than ever before, Christians are no longer reading this thing. People are uninterested. I think they're distracted, a big reason. We have Wi-Fi, so how can we compete with this thing when we have an iPhone with a million apps? It's complex. Some of us see it, and we, we can't stand it because it seems sexist. It seems tribalistic. It seems archaic and misogynistic. And it is all of those things. And without a proper understanding of Scripture, we just pull ourselves out and we do a lot of harm in culture and world in the church by using this thing in an unhelpful way. Yet I want to say to our church and every disciple of Jesus that we should live a life rooted in the Scriptures. So I'm going to talk about what I mean by that. Does that sound okay? And hopefully heal. some of you are visiting and you're not part of church normally. And I, be, I bet a lot of it has to do with how this is taught. And how people in the church, meaning well, do a lot of harm. And how we take things out of context and do even more damage than you can ever imagine. So today I'm just going to do this. I'm going to talk about Jesus' take on the scriptures. So what, did he, what, did he, what does he have to say about the Bible? And then I'm going to talk about uh, what we talk about when we talk about the scriptures here at the garden. I'll give you my perspective and interpretation about the text and then land with three practices to anchor our church in a life rooted in the scriptures. You with me? Yeah. So 30-something minutes, we'll be good and out and we'll get some lunch. For those of us that are hungry, I'm already hungry. Um, 
been realizing more and more lately that my greatest motivation in life is my stomach. Um, it's quite this, it's, I'm, I'm regularly angry um, and it all has to do with my lack of food intake. Okay, um, it's, not, it's not spiritual warfare. Darren, you're hungry. Um, okay. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Let's l- read this passage from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, let's go there, Matthew 5, 17. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it and then I'm going to go verse by verse through this and then we're going we're gonna to talk about implications. So, do not, this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, we will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so this is Jesus' teaching on the scriptures. Now the Bible as we know it today did not exist in Jesus' day. Okay, so let's read that first verse. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. Now, the law, of the, uh, the law or the prophets is kind of the term in the first century for the scriptures. Okay, so they collected the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, um, and they had First and Second Samuel, Judges, and the prophets, Isaiah, and all those. And for the Jewish person in the first century, when Jesus says the law and the prophets, he's referring to first century Bible. Let's just say that, okay? The scriptures. What we would call today the Bible, although it's now including the New Testament. But So in Jesus' mindset, he's referring to the scriptures, the Bible, in the first century. So he, it says, I, I have not come to abolish the law. And the word abolish is used to describe um, some destroying something or dismantling a building or institution. But in the first century, the word is a technical term for disobedience or disobey or disrespect. So Jesus was, was his teaching was so radical in the first century that people thought he had come to disobey the scriptures, to throw the scriptures out. It was so provocative. They were like, what are you doing? And so he has, to, he, has to tell, he has to bring a disclaimer about the type of teaching he came to bring. And what he says is, I'm not, uh, I'm not coming to abolish, disrespect, disobey, or dismantle the law and the prophets or the Bible of his day. He says, I've come to fulfill it. And it's a pattern that Matthew uses to describe when something of the Old Testament or a pattern or prophecy in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the life of Jesus. So Jesus' teaching was so provocative that in some ways he's beating up against ancient liberalism, which is let's just disobey the scriptures, and ancient conservatism, which was a form of reading the law in a conservative way, and he's offering a third alternative about the scriptures. And it was, it's so provocative that Jesus actually will reinterpret the meaning of the law that was passed on from generation to generation, and then uh, instantiate or encourage people to take on his version, his view of the scriptures. And one of the things I want to say as disciples, we should read the scripture the way Jesus would read it. 
Now, some of you are going to be really frustrated with this teaching, and that's okay. Verse 18, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So truly I tell you, he says this 30 times in Matthew. It's, hey guys, listen up, pay attention. And one, one author says, look, not one dot of an I, not one cross of a T will drop out of the law. So the Bible and down to the smallest detail will last until everything is accomplished. And that word is fulfilled or, or complete or comes true. And this is so important for those of us that have hangups with the scriptures. Because we read the Old Testament, we're like, how, how can God be like that and then be like this in the New Testament with Jesus? What you have to understand is the Old Testament, what Jesus is saying was a signpost for his coming. And Paul will talk about this in Galatians, that you'll have tutors and all sorts of things. But the Old Testament commands and laws are all pointing to the life of Jesus. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, what he starts doing is reinterpreting the scriptures to his way and his life. And it's like he has authority over the written commands of the Old Testament, which we'll get to in just a second. So Jesus, in some ways, Jesus comes onto the scene and he's saying, look, the Old Testament is a signpost for the coming kingdom that is fulfilled and is being fulfilled in Jesus' life. You with me? You guys, are you sure I lost a lot of you? Uh, or, are you guys good? Do you need a joke or anything like Star Wars? Okay, just insert joke here and we'll keep going. Uh, verse 19, therefore, listen to this. Here's his point. This is the whole point. Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands. Now let's just pause there. What's he referring to? Is it the commands pointing back to the Old Testament or is it the commands he's about to teach in the Sermon on the Mount? Because after this, he's going to give a bunch of statements about his variation of the scriptures. And the consensus among scholars is he's referring to both. That the command, he's referring to the commands of the Old Testament, but more specifically, his interpretation, his hermeneutic of the law of the Old Testament and scripture and his commands that he gives now in the Sermon on the Mount. So anyone that, that uh, sets aside or that, that word is relaxes or loosens one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus goes on to, to talk about his interpretation of the scripture. And he'll go on to say, look, anyone that sets aside, loosens or relaxes or has a laissez-faire attitude towards the scriptures, particularly his way of reading scriptures, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So of his commands, we don't get to cherry pick which ones we follow. This is what he's saying. And doesn't it seem like this is what we do in the American church? We make Jesus in our own image and we validate the lifestyle preferences, the lifestyle decisions in our own lives. And we'll, we'll, we're happy as the church to call out sexual sin, but Jesus talks more about money than anything else outside of the kingdom. Anyone that loosens these commands. He commands us to not worry. Yeah, I have panic attacks. Does anyone else get that? He, come, he says, guys, you've heard, don't kill each other. If you're going to have a society together, it's really good that we don't kill each other. Would you agree? 
Okay, that's great. Jesus goes, don't even get angry inappropriately towards each other. It's the same as murder. All the brothers in here, raise your hand, brothers. Anyone married? Anyone that looks at a woman with lust in his heart, it's the same as committing adultery with on her on your wife. Anyone that loosens these commands is called least in the kingdom. And brothers and sisters, the, the, the list of things that Jesus teaches in the scripture, in just the Sermon on the Mount, is so crazy to me that I'm just realizing as I look at the Sermon on the Mount this week, like how much my life does not reflect Jesus' teachings, but the cultural idolatry that I worship. Because everyone else makes it, culture has the authority in my life. You know what I'm talking about? And this is what we're getting to, why this, tech, this particular value is so important today. And so I want to just make a quick highlight. There is a direct connection between how we treat the scriptures and our experience in the kingdom of heaven. According to Jesus, whoever loosens these, teaching, uh, the script, these commands in their lives and teaches others will be called least. But whoever practices these and teaches others to practice these commands will be called what? So there is a direct correlation to our obedience and involvement in the scriptures to our experience in the kingdom of God. And how many of you know this in your life? When you're living for yourself and you're stressed out about work and money and you recognize that you haven't honored God with your life, particularly in your work, rest, money, and it's leading to anxiety. Do you know that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says you have to choose between God and money. Otherwise, it will, you'll be torn apart. But once you decide that God's enough, then you don't have to worry because God will provide all of your needs. And we can just go down the list as far as things that we, we deal with. But here's where Jesus, it gets really fascinating. So are you guys good? Are we, I'm not sure, I'm not really picking up the feedback I, I, I was expecting. I'm not getting anything actually. Did we miss some coffee because somebody was serving you coffee? You didn't get three cups today? Is that the problem? I see. I get it. Remember expectations and commands? Remember that? Uh, just kidding. Go, go get some more caffeine if you're tired. Actually, somebody can get me one. Uh, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the key. So Jesus does something that's so unthinkable that everyone listening would have been like, <gasps> The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are the, the, these are the, um, the paid professionals. These, he, and essentially what Jesus just said is, unless your goodness is like Pope Francis, Mother Teresa, and Dallas Willard combined, you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what they hear. What he's saying in this particular passage is that if you want to enter the kingdom, you can't just obey the commands of the Bible. You need the ideas of the scripture to seep into your heart and transform you into a whole new kind of human being. This is not about checking off the list or who gets in and out based on behavior modification. This is about having the kind of heart that desires the thing of heaven everywhere you go. This is about learning to pray exactly what Jesus would pray without having to think about it. This is what God is after. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, that we become these kinds of people. So this type of teaching is so provocative. Would you agree? 
He's saying that the scripture, you have to take it seriously. We need to read it and practice it. We need to give it, get it into our hearts and lives. We need to allow the scripture to be a focal point in our life and that there's a direct connection between the experience of the kingdom and our experience and obedience to the scriptures. And Jesus comes to fulfill it in his life and it was fulfilled in his life. And so brothers and sisters, I think Jesus' teaching on the scriptures is so important today. And some of you go, well, it seems, some of the scriptures seems archaic. And yes, it does. Have you read Deuteronomy? We just read a passage. Now in that same book, Deuteronomy, there's a section called Spoils of War. And if you haven't read this, it's fascinating. The people of God are told when they conquer different people as they go to war with their enemies. And if a man sees a woman of that particular enemy that he finds attractive, he can have her come into his house, shave her head, let her grieve the death of her family, and he can take her as his wife. And if he's not pleased with her in those ways, he can divorce her. That's commanded in the Bible. That's, cr- that, that's crazy. That, doesn't that seem archaic? Like, I cannot believe God commit. Yes, it is archaic. What, but, but in the time period it was written, it was so revolutionary. Because enemies were not seen as even human or equals. And Deuteronomy is actually calling you to respect the dignity of life. Now, it seems archaic. It was, but in that time period, it was, a, it was pulling society forward in a better place. And you read in the Old Testament, we're going to create this new society. Do not kill each other. Great, let's do it. We're going to build a whole society. We're going to build an entire marriage based on not committing adultery. How great is that? If that was the status for my health and marriage, I'm killing it. Yes. <laughs> I don't think my wife would be pretty happy. But look at what happens as the scriptures move forward. It's, it's hey, Paul writes in Ephesians, husbands, love your, lo- your wives as Christ loves the church. That's a little bit better than don't commit adultery. Would you agree? Brothers, don't kill each other. Jesus says, lay down your life. Oh, this is, what, this is how beautiful the scripture is with context. And now is the time to take seriously the word. We are living in a, a moment of crisis of biblical authority. A lot of people don't realize that this is a time where um, we are debating and arguing over the scriptures. Everything comes down to this text. When I talk, it's so crazy. When I, I, I have ongoing appointments. I had it's like 12 weeks in a row with some Mormons. And, and we, were ta- we would debate every Tuesday. They would come over. I'd give them LaCroix. We'd sit down. <laughs> Those boys can drink LaCroix. You know what it always came down to? Our understanding of scripture. He was just telling me, read the Book of Mormon and ask if it's true. God will reveal it. I'm like, that's crazy to me. Do you not, do you not realize what you're just telling me that the authority I have is my own personal experience that makes this true? What brought me back to Christianity was not just a personal experience. It was that Christianity of all world religions is anchored in history, time, and place. For thousands of years, we have this one continuous story. No other world religion has that. Quran is not written that way. The Book of Mormon is not written that way. Our library of books that is the Bible has so much authority, textual criticism from how it was handled and perceived throughout history that it causes you to have less faith in Christianity than you need for Mormonism. I'm like, where's the history? Where's the archaeology? Where's the tradition? You keep changing things. He's like, you do that in scripture. I'm like, no, I don't. 
I, I interpret it equally. So I read Genesis the same way I read Revelation, which gets us into trouble if you don't do it that way. This is a whole, if you want to learn more about this, I'll come to our Bible class, which we need to do again. At the garden. <laughs> the sociologist Charles Taylor said, we've moved from a culture of authority to a culture of authenticity. Where it's all about be true to yourself. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Trust your feelings. And so more and more people, uh, more and more the idea of living under the authority of an ancient library of books is borderline absurd to an anti-authoritarian culture that defines freedom as the ability to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Brothers and sisters, I want the garden to live under the authority of scripture. Not the cult, not authority of culture, not under the authority of an individual experience or therapeutic wisdom or tradition for tra tradition's sake. I want us to live under the authority of scriptures. What do I mean by that? Well, I want us to be willing to submit our whole life to the text. I want us to, I want us to submit our, our decision making, our relationships, what we do with our finances, how we discipline our kids, how we, how we engage in business under the authority of scripture. Now that's, that seems like, I feel like that sounds like old school Bible teaching. But I feel like we need some old school Bible teaching. Would you agree? Like we're just moving so far away as a culture from anything that's truth. Time Magazine asked the question, is truth dead? And it's not dead. He's actually raised from the dead. Let that sink in a little bit. That wasn't in the notes. So I can't, I can't take credit for that one. Dang it. I want to be willing to submit our lives to Scripture. We need it, when we make decisions in our life, do we consult the Word and, and invite the Scriptures to speak to us? When we start dating relationships, do we allow the Scriptures to protect our holiness through these commands about preserving sexuality for marriage? Or do we just do what it feels like, what, fe what we feel like in the moment? Think about it. With business, do we... Are we operating like the world operates where we lord it over our employees or are we inviting Christ and the scriptures to teach us how to be the best business people in the world? Jesus knows a lot about business. I believe that with all my heart. He's the smartest man to have ever lived and continue to live and he can teach you to, to treat people maybe differently than your MBA. Across the board, how do we handle conflict? I mean, I, I, how, do we just deal with each other the way the world teaches us to deal with each other or do we, just, do we allow the scriptures to influence these decisions, allow the wisdom of scripture to teach us in our daily life? I believe there's so much truth and power in the word of God. It doesn't have to be some teacher that you picked up along the way or some great podcast that brought you to a life of freedom. John 8, 31 says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's not good feelings that will set you free or static experiences. We need the knowledge of the scripture to set us free. I want us to live under the authority of scripture, rooted in its continuous story. I want to read scripture the way Jesus reads it. I want to believe scripture and live scripture. The Bible wasn't just meant to be read, it was meant to be lived, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. A couple of thoughts, and then we'll talk about, we'll close it up in just a second. Um, I believe the enemy 
is working against this generation and our culture to keep us from the word. I believe the enemy, I mean, the greatest posture that the enemy is producing, this is, this is the image, I, with, and I don't mean this as a joke, I mean this seriously. If there was a war going on, we've talked about spiritual warfare in the last few months. If there was a war going on, what would the enemy want you to do? What would be the greatest tactic he could kind of use to keep you from fighting this war? You wanna see the image? Keep you distracted. Keep you unengaged. Keep you hunched over so that you don't stand up and fight. So we're distracted by so many things. The enemy wants to keep us anxious. Our generation is marked by anxiety, exhaustion, by anxiety and exhaustion. <laughs> And distraction, sorry, that was the third. It's right here. So our obedience, the last, our obedience to the commands in the New Testament is an expression of our obedience to Jesus. So how we treat the Bible matters. So a couple of thoughts on what is the Bible and then we'll land with practices. Are you guys good? Wanna, this is all about I'm Jeremiah, come on. Can we just, Lord bless Jeremiah and we get more Jeremiahs in this room. <laughs> Scripture. There we go. Come on. Scripture is, is the word of God. It's God-inspired. It's alive. It's dynamic. And the higher our view of Scripture, the more committed we are to getting it right. Scripture is God speaking his truth to us in human words. Please listen to this because this is where lots of movements and teachings around the world are lost. The Bible was first written by real people in real places, in real time, in real human language. So the Bible is not first God's word to us. It's first God's word to those whom it came originally to. So pay, listen, in order for, us, for it to become God's word to us, we need to read it first as God's word to them. Okay, We need to know as best as we can what it meant to them before we can fully understand what it means to us. So at the garden, we believe the best way to interpret the Bible is to allow the author's intent to be the anchor of our interpretation. We call it exegesis. This is why we teach with Greek and Hebrew and trying to understand context. It's why context matters. Anybody who reads the Bible for meaning interprets it. Now, this is so important. Okay. Oh, this is me just responding to the very conservative like understanding of scripture that I had when I came kind of back to faith after my time at UCSB. Um, and it was a particular movement. And it was basically, you just read it by yourself or what the other pastors in that movement read. You don't read other contexts of literature. You don't read other experts in, in Greek or Hebrew. You just read other pastors in the movement. And it creates this kind of circular understanding that affirms what the main pastor believes. And, and, and they would argue about the interpretation of the Bible. What Bible do you, version do you read? If you don't read ESV or, or King James, it's not the real word of God. This, this is absurd. It's crazy because every 
English Bible is an interpretation of a Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew Bible. So it's already an interpretation that's off. So the Jehovah's Witnesses that are reading their world translation, it's off because it has a bias. Every, every Bible has a bias because somebody interpreted it. The NIV has a bias to, to include certain words um, that are about its meaning. So people are like, oh, the paraphrased version is of the devil. Eugene Peterson is of the devil because he translates the message. That's crazy. He's, he's, he's trying to articulate the scriptures in thought for thought and heart for heart in normal language. Use it. Don't teach Greek and Hebrew out of it because that's not the point of it. Are you with me? Am I, am I a little excited about that? Yeah, just a little bit. Okay. I don't care what Bible you read. Read whatever. Just read it. <laughs> I don't care if it's on your device. Read, just read it for the love of God. Read. Read God's loving word. A text can, that, so with that means this. A text then cannot mean whatever it never meant. Sorry. A text then cannot mean what it never meant. So passages that we, so let me just give you an example. And I'm just, I'm, I really want to kind of make some points. And I, I'm realizing there's a whole pastoral side of this conversation that, that's coming out because of all the pain I've experienced in this room from people who have been told something that is so far from God's heart. Example, women in leadership. I'm just gonna go right for the jugular. When we take particular passages of scripture that were for a particular time, place, and community and apply it universally for all times, we do dishonor of Paul's letters. And we dishonor our sisters because we think you only get gifts based on your gender. Where is that in the scripture? other than Timothy and Corinthians, but the whole of the text is equality, God pulling equality, and Jesus welcoming all despite what we look like, what type of gender we come from, and empowers it by the Spirit of God. Women are able to preach, lead, just like men, and that's the dominant theme in the New Testament. Now, there are occasions where Paul is, for the reason of mission and the gospel spreading, limiting freedoms, Ephesus, when, where Timothy is written. There's a cult of Artemis that has women priestesses who are engaging in teaching as women priestesses for Artemis in sexual activity. And when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in Timothy, the word authority is the only time that particular word for authority is ever used in the entire Bible. And it has to do with thrusting yourself on someone individually. It's very sexual. And yet we take that and apply it universally. Are you with me? I'm, I'm fired up. Ladies, all the ladies, you have permission to lead, not because you're a woman leader, because you are a leader. Brothers, let us do everything in our power, authority, and capacity to raise up our sisters because they need it. Men, we need to step aside. I've been getting, trying to get Amy to do the communion for like months. It was the best talk on communion I've heard. Are you with me? Man, I had no idea. Like Faith was like, hey, what do you think this sermon? I'm like, it's very dry. I think this talk is gonna be dry. It's what I said, Faith, is that not, I feel like it's gonna be boring. And uh, I'm clearly, that's not the case right now. So, 
I got so much else. What time is it? Ten, ah. A text, a, a text cannot mean whatever we think it means. A text cannot mean whatever our inspiration tells us. Oh, the Lord is saying we're going to translate this verse to mean what we need. We need a building and thousands of dollars and we're going to shut the doors until we get it. It's out of context. Jeremiah 29, 11. That is not for your life. Did anyone use that as a dedication verse? <laughs> a text cannot mean whatever our hearts tell us it means. All of these possible meanings must be measured against what it meant to those whom it was originally written. The final authority in, the church, in, in things in the church is Scripture. So why should we read Scripture? Because Jesus is our model. He's our rabbi. Jesus read Scripture. He knew Scripture. He taught authorit authoritatively on Scripture. He reinterpreted Scripture in the Sermon on the Mount. He lived Scripture out. It flowed out of him. Second reason why, reading scripture is countercultural. We live in an information age where we understand the deepest mysteries of the universe, but we don't know why we are here. We have more science than ever before and technology growing than ever. We can find out whatever we have on WebMD or not have. <laughs> Yet we don't know how to apply the information and knowledge we have access to. Reading scripture is about wisdom and becoming people of wisdom and truth. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. You know sugar and bad fats are gonna make you feel and look a certain way. And we're like, ah, oh, I, I don't understand why I can't get healthy. You know why. <laughs> I had two pieces of pumpkin pie yesterday. I know that will make me sluggish and wanna take a nap. And if we don't apply the knowledge, then we're not living life of wisdom. And scripture is countercultural because it just wants to give us all this knowledge, but it doesn't teach us how to apply the knowledge we have. So that's why now is our cultural moment as a church. What are people hungry for? Authentic community. What's, what is Mark Zuckerberg trying to emulate in Facebook now? He's, he's studying church. Have you studied? He's saying that Facebook will become what church has always been. That's what he's trying to create in these little online communities. This is new research. People are hungry for community. They're hungry for meaning. They're hungry for wisdom. They're, they're hungry for everything that's here. Power to overcome the self-doubt, anxiety, burnout. Power to fix marriages. Power to have healthy relationships. The church, this is our opportune time. We just have to be it. Amen. Oh man, I need some amens right now. I'm just like... <laughs> Okay, how do we do this? I'm gonna go quickly through this. Land, land with this. That wasn't that bad. That was 35 minutes or something like that. I, I, didn't, I didn't know I was gonna get this passionate. I'm just pumped. If you're new, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. If, if, here's the thing too. If you are new and you come from a different tradition and you don't believe the things I believe, it's totally fine. And I, I'm not trying to diminish. If you don't believe women should be elders or leaders, you know what, that is your thing. I don't wanna offend you. That's not my point. My, my point at the garden is to reiterate what we believe in the scriptures and there has to be place for debate so let's just keep it we're all brothers and sisters under christ and we can debate these things here we believe these things if you don't believe it i don't want to offend you i don't mean to insult and that's not my case are you with me yeah. okay thank you uh number one how do we practice living a life rooted in scripture let's just read the bible every day we we have these on your seats it's the read scripture plan our house churches are reading these together our house churches are reading these together. <laughs> and it's, it's literally seven minutes of reading, not even that. I, I mean, the longest one was day seven or, 
Um, no, day. What was day ten? That was, that was today, huh? No, no, day seven. It's like, oh, you're on a different schedule, Jeremiah. You're with the youth. Um, Acts five and six. Psalm. There's three passages. I'm so sorry that you had to read three passages of scripture. But the first step is just to read it. Second, I want you to meditate on it. We've done extensive teaching. Just look through our podcast. Email me. I'll send you these notes. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. Meditation moves from looking at the words of the text to entering the world of the text and recognizes the world of the text is far larger and more real than our minds and experience. So to read is to be informed, but to hear the word is to be formed by the word. Romans 10, 17 says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message heard through the word about Christ. The key to reading the Bible for impact is not to read it, but to hear it. And that happens through meditation. Meditate, just take some scripture, take a passage that you read in the daily and just sit with it for a while. I did that when I was preparing to launch our house church pastors all week long. I took that 2 Timothy 2, verse one. Um, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in our Lord Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in our Lord Jesus. And if you don't know what grace is, then learn what grace is and meditate. Ask the, ask the Spirit to illuminate that in your life. So the third thing, probably the hardest thing, memorize scripture. This is such a, this is such a like progressive teaching right now. Read the Bible, meditate on the Bible, and memorize <laughs> scripture. This is the, this, this Dallas Willard, who is probably one of the most influential writers and thinkers in my life, who passed away a few years ago, he said, there is no greater disciplinary verse in the entire Bible than Joshua 1.8, mirrored and expanded in Psalm 1, and none more instructive on the restoration of the soul. Okay? He says, there we read, it says this in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Memorization enables us to mumble and meditate, which enables us to do, which enables us to have good success. success. And he will define success for us because we are walking in God's ways with an interior character like Christ or Jesus. Memorization. He'll say, Dallas Willard said at one point, I won't go to any church that doesn't have a Bible memorization plan for all of its congregation. So in honor of him, memorize scripture <laughs> or else. <laughs> uh, so those are the three things that I just wanted to invite you into. The teaching is simply very, 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 very simple about scripture. Let's, let's read it and try to read it the way Jesus reads it. And we'll be teaching that along the way. Um, but let us move towards a life rooted in the scriptures. In a time where our life can be rooted in culture, rooted in our feelings, rooted in our personal experience, rooted in our work, rooted in our approval of others, rooted in so many other things. Um, and at the same time, I love that passage that Jesus says, those who practice and teach these commands will be called great in the kingdom. And I want to end here by saying this. I feel like our church, this is for the garden, needs to, another classic word for all you new, newcomers, repent from cherry picking verses to follow rather than accepting the commands of Jesus and saying, 
how am I doing here? You could be really good on sexual purity, but your finances are wrecked. Someone's laughing about that. <laughs> like, is that you? Are you talking to your husband or what? Um, you could be really good um, in, in your marriage, but you have no community outside of your wife and kids, and you're not practicing any of the one another's. Do you see how this works itself out? So some of us has cherry-picked Some of us have not been obedient to the text, and I want to invite you to be obedient to the scriptures. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org. Space for your presence to dwell